What's up, everyone? I'm Eric Smith, Editor-in-Chief at QB List. I am joined by Ryan Heath, as always, on the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast. Today, we are going to tell you how to draft quarterbacks and tight ends. Uh, these are our quarterback and tight end rankings. We are going to be going through them, uh, but in a pretty quick fashion here, because Ryan and I have pretty similar outlooks on how to draft these positions. You only need one of them in most leagues, so we are not stressing these positions quite as much as we are stressing running backs and wide receivers. So we're going to make sure that you all get the right value on these picks. You're chasing the right upside here, and then you have some realistic expectations for some of these sleepers. So uh, it's been a wild week in fantasy news, NFL news. We've got Masked Singer talk. We've got Isaiah Likely. Can he be a breakout tight end out of nowhere? We've got you know George Pickens taking over the world, whatever you want to talk about. So Ryan, what kind of preseason hype are you just uh, confirming your priors with, as you like to always talk about? Yeah, so I don't know if this is really confirming my priors, but I've been coming to terms with the fact that I need to draft Isaiah Pacheco shockingly high. I have been doing some slow drafts on Underdog recently, and the slow drafts are kind of fun because you can watch as players ADPs just rise or fall because they're they're taking place over multiple weeks of the preseason so we get to see Isaiah Pacheco start going in like the 10th and 11th round and I'm the guy doing that sometimes because honestly I I don't see why not if if we're comparing him to guys like Daryl Henderson or even Kenny Gainwell I I don't think it's crazy to think that they have similar upsides so I that's where I have Isaiah Pacheco right now I don't usually get in on these types of players in the preseason, especially with low draft capital, but maybe I'm just having fun with Pacheco or I'm about to look like a fool in four weeks from now, but we'll see how that turns out for me. Yeah, this is a really tough time of the year because you want to be on top of all this news, all the training camp news, all the preseason news, but it's really hard to know what matters or not, especially with the way the NFL is trending where a lot of these coaches just are not playing anyone. So you don't know if players um, are, are with the starting team, if they're getting work with the twos because they're not going to see a role. You know, you see some young players getting a role when the, the starters and veterans are sitting. Like, is that good or bad? But it's really hard to decipher all this news that's coming out with the way the preseason is trending. And I think it's only going to get worse. I mean, Sean McVay kind of started the, the trend of – playing nobody in the preseason uh, the Bengals have taken a similar approach this season coming off of a really long Super Bowl run they're kind of like hey let's just get the week one healthy I think you're gonna see a lot of teams sit everyone going forward and it's gonna make it really hard to diagnose these rookies so um, we're trying to stay on top of this we've got the what we saw article out from week two preseason uh, we went through all the games so I, I encourage you to check that out we try to cut through the chase here we've been watching these games for a long time preseason included and I like to think we've kind of learned uh the stuff to ignore, the stuff to not ignore. Had some good talks about Isaiah Likely on uh, on the Reddit um, thread. So it just just some good stuff to sort through this time of the year. Um, but you you really got to analyze every situation individually because it, it gets complicated. So um, other than that, my last bit of advice is if you're out there thinking about throwing some bets out there, uh, some kind of season long bets, MVP type bets, whatever it is, win totals. This is the time of the year where we all get really in the weeds, like I mentioned, about, you know, what the backup tight end situation looks like, what the left guard situation looks like. But uh, quarterback and coaching is all that matters. So I highly encourage you all, as you are making your bets coming up here soon, just look at the quarterback and the coach. As a Bengals fan, I have certainly seen the difference. Uh, Ryan, I think you know as a as a Patriots fan, all that matters is the quarterback. So stop wasting your time, everyone. You're going to put some bets down. Just look at the quarterback, look at the coach, and go from there. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's not the worst process to have just if you're trying to attack the all these player props really quickly. Uh, and it, it's not the worst heuristic for fantasy football either. If you're in like a just kind of your normal home league, I, I think just drafting players on good offenses is going to help you do better than a lot of your league mates. So I, it's something to keep in mind as excited and as hyped as we're going to get about Lance McCutcheon and uh, uh, what's the guy on the Cowboys name? Cavante Turpin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, they're on good offenses with good quarterbacks, but we, we, they probably have a long way to go to see meaningful playing time. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into quarterbacks. We'll start out with them. We're going to get to tight ends next. Uh, despite everything I just said about quarterbacks, uh, fantasy football wise, it's a whole different ball game here. So, um, Ryan, let's start out with how are you attacking the quarterback position? Kind of where do you see the different values? Where do you see the ranges you're avoiding? Just kind of your big picture view of the quarterback position this year. Yeah. So I think something to keep in mind is that the last two years, especially the quarterback ADP has been very efficient. Like there have not been as many very late round quarterback values just vaulting into the top tier as we used to see in years past. So I think it can sometimes make sense to actually pay up for an elite talent at the position now. Uh, With that said, I am still not drafting Josh Allen at his ADP, which is apparently in the late second, early third round, according to fantasy pros. I just think that players like Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and Russell Wilson offer really similar upside with their rushing ability, and you can get them multiple rounds later in rounds five or six. So that round five, round six range is really where I would start considering a quarterback. After that, my strategy kind of just boils down to draft Trey Lance if I don't have if I don't have a quarterback by round eight or round nine. Happy to just close my eyes and take Lance and bet again, bet on that ceiling from the rushing. And if you miss him, it's not even that big of a deal because there are, as always, the quarterback position is deep. Uh, You're probably not going to find the extremely high ceiling elite players uh, later on in the draft anymore, but you're never really going to be stuck uh, playing somebody that's not really going to produce like you you can pretty easily stream 16 17 points per game at the quarterback position uh at worst case scenario yeah and i have very similar thoughts to the quarterback position this year as you do i I think you're right on that fifth to sixth round range where you're not considering a quarterback until then i mean if you're in the sixth round you can still get like Cortland sutton or jerry judy this year you can still get a monroe st brown there's some really good names still available to you in the sixth round of drafts. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really pushing towards that sixth or seventh round if possible. Uh, and I, I'm if I can catch Jalen Hurts falling, he's the end of my tier one quarterbacks, then certainly I'll grab him. But uh, once it gets past him, I'm kind of taking the values on the second tier of quarterbacks. Um, I do have my eyes on Trey Lance, of course, like you mentioned. Uh, he's still a pretty good value in home leagues. And Justin Fields is probably our only like real late round quarterback this year I would say that really qualifies like he goes late he's got the rushing upside um, we'll get to these players in a little bit more but uh, to echo your point um, something I wrote up in the the draft guide that I've got on the website uh, the, the fallback options at quarterback are a lot better than you think it is like last year like if you take out all the players that would have been drafted in your typical league 
Uh, there were still good options available on waivers, even though they seem scary. Like you could have just not drafted a quarterback and got Carson Wentz to start the year. I know it's Carson Wentz. He's not great, but he was the QB 14 last year, uh, QB 20 for points per game basis. You could have got Jimmy Garoppolo, who was the QB 17 on a point per game basis, 16 points a game. And those are not that far off from what like Derek Carr did last year, who is kind of like a beacon of consistency, but his scoring is just not a difference maker. So Really, I, I still suggest go for the high-risk options of quarterback because you can get players like that on your waiver wire right away to start the season. And then you can also snipe those players, uh, the QB2s that other people have drafted, who are going to hit waivers early on in the year. The, the Kirk Cousins types, the Derek Carr types, the Ryan Tannehill types, they're going to they're gonna show up on waivers before you know it. So I, I think you go high-risk at the position. If you bust, that's fine. Uh, you try to make a move to move on from them quickly, and you see what's on your waiver wire. So uh, we're on the same board here. Go for upside. And I, I think it's really a position. I, I think you just watch the ADPs. You compare to where they're at in your draft. And if you catch someone at a round value, then go for it. But I'm not really getting getting sold on individual players as much as I am at running back and wide receiver. Yeah, and I guess a final thing I'll add is that I think it is generally a good idea if you are going to draft a quarterback not super late to just take the guy that is throwing to one of the wide receivers that you take early. Yep. Uh, we talk about stacking in these best ball tournaments all the time, but even in your normal managed leagues, I don't think it's a horrible idea that if you draft Jamar Chase in the first round, just take Joe Burrow. You're already betting on Jamar Chase to have a really good season. He's probably not going to do that without Joe Burrow also having a good season. So you may as well let yourself need to be correct about fewer things and just not worry too much about the position. Obviously don't reach on guys for stacks, but I, I think that if you feel really directionless at the quarterback position, then letting that be what sort of guides you is good. Yeah, that's a way that I tend to break ties between like Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers or something. You know, that's kind of that's kind of how I make those decisions is how I match up the stacks. Um, and just back to like who's going to be available on your waiver wire to start the year, like just looking at fantasy pros ADP. If you didn't draft a quarterback this year, you probably can choose between Carson Wentz, uh, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones. Zach Wilson, even some rushing upside with Marcus Mariota. Kenny Pickett maybe starting before we know it. Like those are quarterbacks that are pretty much free after your draft in most leagues. So uh, if it's a single quarterback league, let's go for the big upside play or a stack option. And otherwise, let's just chase the value. So uh, I don't know anything other. I mean, we could get into a lot more if it's a if it's a super flex league here, Ryan. But I think from a one quarterback league perspective, that's pretty much covers it for me. I agree. That pretty much covers it. Um, I am kind of cringing a little bit at all of the names that you just read off that you can are going to be able to get late because I know for a fact that at some point during the season, I'm going to be touting every single one of them as a streamer on our sit start show. And I'm not, not really looking forward to having to talk people into Marcus Mariota. Um, but I, I'm sure I'll get over it. So now I want to move into looking at your rankings uh, versus the expert consensus on fantasy pros. Let's just talk about a handful of the quarterbacks that you are higher on compared to the rest of the industry. So first we've got Dak Prescott. Uh, you have him ranked as the quarterback eight and expert consensus has him at the quarterback 10. Uh, you're, you're actually about in line with ADP. He's going in the late sixth round right now. So why don't you give us your thoughts on Dak Prescott and why you're apparently not fading him like the rest of the industry is? 
Yeah, and I, I thought I was going to be a little high on him compared to ADP, and I guess the, the Cowboys fans out there have just kind of made that impossible. But I, I feel like we're really grading Dak Prescott on a really high curve here, um, and I'm not sure why we are so harsh on him. I mean, he's got three consecutive seasons of 20-plus point-per-game production. Uh, not hard, Not many quarterbacks have done that over the past three years, and that's with a major injury right in the middle of it. Uh, Dak is hitting his age 29 years uh, old season. That's like a quarterback's prime. They tend to peak around this 29, 30, 31 year old age. Um, he's got some rushing ability, especially another year removed off, or, off that major injury. He used to get us six rushing touchdowns a year. So he's not a complete zero on the ground. And, you know, even with some of the concerns with his pass catchers and the offensive line, like PFF still ranks this as the sixth best offensive line in the league, despite those losses. It's a little more fragile with some injury prone players, a left tackle. But I, I think the point is, is that we've been wringing our hands about this situation all offseason in Dallas. And while it doesn't look as good as it has in the years past, I think Prescott's a good enough quarterback, a good enough kind of um, commander of the offense that he's going to get this done. He's going to throw the ball a lot. I expect the defense to regress a little bit, and I just see a lot of shootouts here for Dak. So I, I don't think that defense is going to be as elite as it was last year, and he was still putting up 20 fantasy points per game coming off a major injury. So I don't know. Th this whole section of the rankings that he's in, kind of the 8 through 12 range, is super close, and I, I think you could rank it about any way you want. But um, I, I, I'm pretty happy to take Dak and have go into the season with him as my QB1. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to push back on in regards to Dak. My one concern, I guess, is that his pass-catching weapons are fairly thin. I, he's got CeeDee Lamb, Dalton Schultz. After that, uh, a lot of unproven guys, Jalen Tolbert, the rookie, uh, Michael Gallup and James Washington aren't going to be healthy to start the year. So uh, maybe this offense just consolidates and Dak is fine anyway, but yeah, I think the really important point that you make is the rushing production and how we would hope it would come back up to normal this year uh, now, now that he's healthy and hopefully we'll be coming out of the pocket a little bit more. Uh, so that I think that's pretty good on Dak. Uh, let's move to Trey Lance, who is kind of the one player that everybody in the industry is going to tell you to draft as a go-to. Uh, but but Eric, let, let, let's say that I, I am Joe Fantasy Gamer. I don't think Trey Lance is very good at throwing the football. Why would I draft Trey Lance? Why do you have him ranked almost in – you have him ranked inside the top 12. So, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me why you're so high on Trey Lance and why, why I would draft a guy that can't throw. <laughs> well, Joe, I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's an interesting question, but I, we've seen such a track record over the last multiple years of – quarterbacks just rushing quarterbacks just being dropped into the league and it doesn't really even matter if they are ready to throw the ball they are fantasy relevant um and we, we can look as far back as Lamar Jackson like he had that little spell as a rookie and we saw the upside and we were like is he even a good passer obviously we know Lamar hit the ground running Jalen Hurts we've seen recently uh people are still debating if he's a good quarterback or not and he was reeling off 20 point games over the whole first half of last season um, we, we've just seen this. I mean, we've seen Taysom Hill be relevant. Like any Russian quarterback with a pulse has been relevant at times. And I don't see why Trey Lance is going to be any different. Um, his only meaningful playing time last year, he rushed seven times for 40 yards on 50% of the snaps in a game against the Seahawks. Um, his two full games, he produced 16 carries for 89 yards against the Cardinals and eight carries for 31 yards against the Texans. That's a lot of rushing volume. He scored 20, 15, and 19 fantasy points in those games. 
And that was wild, just completing 58% of his passes. So like he wasn't a good passer last year and he was still putting up practically 20 fantasy points a game. So as long as Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to take over for him at some point, which it just seems insane for them to do at this point, as long as Trey Lance is the starter and stays healthy, like we don't need him to be a good passer and he's going to be a good fantasy football player. So the the tricky part about Lance is kind of how you mentioned about in a home league, maybe he's going to fall later. If you're in an industry league, he's going to go earlier. But even if you're in your home league, it's really hard to know if there's someone else out there with their eye on him. And it's tough to know when to draft him. So that's really the, the toughest thing for me is like, I don't want to take him two rounds too early in my home league, uh, but I do want to get him. And if you miss him, your options get a lot thinner at the position. So uh, do you have a feeling on like what is a good range to draft Trey Lance in in your typical league? Uh, not in a home league. I, I mean, in industry leagues, he's basically going as the QB7 or the QB8 consistently. I'm fine if you have to take him there right after Jalen Hurts goes off the board. I, I think that's a totally fine place to take Trey Lance if you really want to make sure you get him. Anytime that we can project a quarterback for eight rush attempts a game, it's that's that's really the end of the conversation. Like. I actually trust Kyle Shanahan, even if we think that Trey Lance is a bad passer, a one-read quarterback. I trust Shanahan to simplify this offense enough to scheme guys like Debo Samuel into space and set up Lance with some easy yards after the catch that his receivers are going to provide him. So if if the passing production is even adequate or average, uh, we're, we're looking at an amazing season from Trey Lance, more than likely. The, yeah, I mean, the the... Really big question is, do you trust Kyle Shanahan to not put Jimmy Garoppolo in the game at some point? Um, so that I, I'll i give you that. But again, we, we shouldn't really care about floor at the quarterback position. Yes, it, if, as you mentioned, uh, Lance sort of is the back of the tier that we feel really great about the upside of. But if you take Lance and he busts, or if you miss on Lance in your draft, there are still guys that you can fall back on that we're going to talk about and that I do think have upside. So yeah, happy to take Lance. Uh, and if you really feel like you need him, then you've got my blessing to draft him as the seventh quarterback off the board. Yeah. And I mean, on fantasy pros, he's still across the various sites. He's like QB 12, 13 or 14. He's going after the, you know, the players are way better than him in real life. I mean, the players like Stafford and Rogers, but I just, I mean, I, Lance literally has a QB three upside and those quarterbacks at this stage of their career just don't, unless they just run insanely hot on passing touchdowns. But I mean, if everything goes right for Lance, he, he's literally uh, a top end quarterback. So I'm drafting him a ton. And I, there is another quarterback I think is a nice fallback option. If you do miss on him, if the other, the, the other Lance lever in your league uh, snipes him from you. Yeah, so we should move on to that guy, and it is Justin Fields. Uh, his ADP right now, according to Fantasy Pros, is in the 11th round. He's the QB 17, and yeah, he's the guy that I was really thinking of as well. If you miss out on Lance, I think Fields is a great option. That you are, It's very unlikely, I would say, that he's going to get drafted in your typical home league before you're ready to take him. So why, why don't you give us kind of your take on him, Eric? Yeah. So, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I think he's the only traditional late round quarterback option that the type that can really hit um, and win you borderline win you a league from a late round draft pick at the quarterback position. Uh, last year, Fields as a rookie, I mean, it was ugly, uh, but he averaged six carries for 35 yards a game. Uh, that number was up to 7.4 attempts per game over his last seven starts. 
Uh, he did battle some injuries. That's a concern. We need to see him be able to run this much and stay healthy. But, you know, I, he was, what, the 11th overall pick in the draft. Um, I think if this weird situation wasn't going on in Chicago right now where they seem to be giving him zero weapons, we're not sure what the coaching staff thinks about him. Like, I think if this wasn't all going on around him, we'd see a lot more Justin Fields hype right now because of the obvious talent. I mean, he's a deep thrower. He throws deep as much as anyone. He runs the ball as much as anyone. He's just talented across the board. If not for this weird approach that the Bears were taking right now, um, I think there, he'd have a lot more hype behind him, and I, I think we should take advantage of this right now. Like, he's he's going late, and I, he's not that far off. I mean, Lance, I, I think, is set up a lot better, a lot better weapons. Um, but just from a fantasy profile, he's not that far off from Trey Lance. So I'm taking the discount on fields if I miss out on Lance. If somebody like Brady doesn't fall like way late in ADP, I'm more than happy to take fields. And if he busts, we'll figure it out later in waivers. Yeah, I agree completely. Fields is sort of the arbitrage Lance. Uh, there, There's not much else to say about it, really. Like he, he's kind of the last guy that we can safely project for seven to eight rush attempts unless you want to start talking about Daniel Jones, which I do not want to, which I do not. Uh, so that, yeah, that's really it. If you're looking, if you're looking at later quarterbacks, there are kind of two ways that we see guys outperform their ADP significantly. One of them is usually through a mobile quarterback being better than we expect throwing the ball. And the other is more of a pocket passer type of player, just having a, really outlier type of year usually from a touchdown rate perspective lots of pass attempts also help but those are kind of the two things you're looking for and i think it's easier to identify the mobile guys in my humble opinion so fields is also who i lock in on towards the end of drafts if i still need a quarterback um you did mention tom brady uh but you are actually a bit lower than the expert consensus on him uh, his ADP right now is in the eighth round as the quarterback 10. Why don't you give us a little more of your thoughts on Tom Brady? I, I mean, obviously, we've all been watching with bated breath as he took his hiatus to what we all wish was the Mass Singer. Appar- apparently, he was in the Bahamas or something. I don't, I don't know if the Mass Singer is filming there or what the deal is, but why, why don't you take us through your thought process on Brady? Yeah, uh, Bahamas sounds a lot better to me personally. So I, I think he knows what he's doing. Um, I, I think I'm low on Brady just because I have Trey Lance, Dak Prescott, um, and maybe because Russell Wilson I have ahead of him. Like, I don't really feel low on Brady. I'm happy to grab him if he's at a discount. That's kind of the general consensus for this tier of quarterback for me, like Brady, Wilson, uh, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's not that I don't want them as my quarterbacks. I'm just generally going to wait and make sure I get them at a really nice value if I draft them. But, you know, I, I think Brady's as safe as any option out there. Um, it's just hard to see him really improve on last year's 22 fantasy points per game, which is really good. Like he was, I think the QB three last year. It's not to say that that's not a good number and we shouldn't take 22 fantasy points per game at the position, but um, nine other quarterbacks have had at least one season better than that over the past three years. Um, the yearly QB one is generally closer to like 25 points per game. And I just don't think we're going to see Brady top those numbers that we saw from last year and the year before in Tampa Bay. I know that's famous last words when it comes to Brady. He's been proving us long, wrong forever. I don't think he's falling off a cliff, but I just, there's not another gear in Brady. So he is what he is at this point. And I, 
I'm just generally not chasing him because I don't think he has QB one overall upside. So that's how I'm approaching the position, but that's not to say I haven't gotten him in multiple um, underdog drafts this off season, like when he falls, or like you said before, I can pair him with Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. So I still feel like I'm around consensus on him. It's just kind of how my rankings fall here. Yeah, fair enough. I agree with you that the ceiling probably isn't there as much as we'd like it to be. Yes, he was great last year, but kind of what I was saying when we talk about the outlier type of seasons at quarterback, the Bucks threw by far the most of any team in the NFL last year. And that that's not something that you can bank on multiple years in a row generally. Uh, there's been a weapons downgrade for Tom Brady. He has lost Antonio Brown and Gronk. Russell Gage and probably washed Julio Jones are there now. Uh, I I just think that the most likely outcome for Brady is he's like a back-end QB1 and he's not really winning or losing anybody any leagues. And the problem with that pick is that there's an opportunity cost. You could be drafting a breakout running back or wide receiver at that spot in the eighth round. I would just so much rather take a shot on a more valuable position than just take the very safe route with Tom Brady. Yep. Man, they, they got some offensive line injuries going on right now. There's just a lot of reasons why I think he's closer to 20 points a game than he is the 22. So yeah, still a good quarterback. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably taking a lot of receivers in that range instead of Brady. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a quarterback that I don't think is good, but depending on the circles you run in on the internet, uh, you, I might get in trouble for saying that. I, I don't want the Tua non people coming at me, but Eric, both of us are low on Tua Tungavaloa compared to consensus. Why, why, do, why don't you take us through why you hate Tua? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I am pretty low on him. I've got him down at QB 20. I would rather take Trevor Lawrence over him, Daniel Jones, even Ryan Tannehill, who everyone has left completely for dead. I still think there's a little bit of value there. I mean, Tannehill runs more than Tua does. Like with Tua, we're just working off of a baseline of like less than 14 fantasy points per game over his first two seasons. And it's a decent enough sample size at this point that, I mean, that's really mediocre production. Like we probably need like a 30% increase in his fantasy production just to get him up in like the QB 12 range. And as much as we all love Tyreek Hill, as much as we love Mike McDaniel and maybe what he'll do with this offense, I don't think that's going to cause this huge spike for Tua, who's just not a big rusher. So they were about middle of the pack last year as far as passing volume. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they run even more this year with kind of a fun running running game and scheme and everything. So I just don't see the path for a monster season here from Tua. I, I like him as far as facilitating the rest of the offense and what he can do for Waddle and Tyree Kill and players like that. But I just don't really see how we get a breakout season here from Tua. We just haven't seen anything that that screams this is some super talent that's just waiting to break out. So I, I just don't think Tyree Kill alone is enough to make this happen. I could see maybe the scheme catches some people off guard early. They break some big plays with all the speed they have on offense. I could see him starting out hot, but I would just be shocked if we're looking at like a QB six season from Tua this year. Yeah. So Eric, while you turn around and deal with that two and on thug that just entered your house and I'm, I'm sure is about to take you away and force you to say positive things about him. Uh, I'll just say that, yes, I get that it's a little bit lazy to just take the quarterback, uh, look at his coach and compare him to the coach's previous quarterback, but it is Tua's situation really all that different 
from what we got out of Jimmy G last year. Yes, the weapons are good. Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, we're excited to varying degrees about both of them. Uh, I think one or possibly both of them could be very good for fantasy, but that doesn't mean that we are getting that ceiling outcome out of Tua, as you kind of mentioned. So it it's tough for me to get excited. I guess I wouldn't hate having Tua as like a QB2 in Superflex, but he's not somebody that I'm looking at as like a stopgap late in the draft if I am going for a late round quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and like everyone hates Kirk Cousins, and he puts up 18 to 19 fantasy points per game, like every year. That's five points more than Tua. Like he's got to make so much happen this year just to get in the Cousins range. It just shows how important ceiling is at quarterback. It goes for the same as Derek Carr. Like he's topped out at like 17 points per game over the last three seasons. Like some of these quarterbacks with their profiles, it's just really difficult to get a truly difference-making season out of them. And I just have not seen anything from Tua that leads me to believe that this is going to be a difference-making season. Yeah, exactly. We And those are the types of players that we just need the outlier year and touchdown rate from, as yeah. I mentioned. Um, all right, moving on to one more guy that you are a bit lower than consensus on. Talk to me about Jameis Winston, Eric. I, I'm a little surprised that you managed to be lower than consensus on Jameis Winston. I, I didn't think that this would be a player that many people would be all that into but uh, apparently he is he's okay to be fair he's not being drafted in most single quarterback leagues but I I think it's fair to talk about him so why, why don't you take us through why you hate Jameis Winston so much <laughs> I mean, I don't know. As the more casual fans get back involved, you know, I'm getting texts from my brother about uh, why aren't people higher, higher on Jameis Winston? So I don't know. I think it's coming, man. Um, I just, I, I think some people have the 30 touchdown, 30 interception Jameis Winston in their mind. I mean, he was a fantasy star at times. I just don't think he's that player anymore, especially in this New Orleans Saints offense. Uh, he had an unsustainable 8.7% touchdown rate last year um, when he wasn't that great of a fantasy player anyway. Um, he played six full games last year, averaged only 25 passing attempts per game, um, 186 passing yards per game. And he was actually, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but he was like running around. He looked um, fresh and agile and he was chipping in rushing yardage to help his fantasy production. And now he's coming off an ACL injury. Like I just, I think a million things have to go right just to even get him up into the Derek Carr range. Like I, I think this is going to be a run first play defense, New Orleans States team. I do not think they're going to let him air it out. I know they've got some new weapons in the pass catching core, and we can kind of say, hey, maybe they're really wanting to open it up this year. But I just do not see the old Jameis Winston coming back anytime soon. So I'm pretty much completely fading him. Um, I've just, as a Bengals fan, I have seen too many quarterbacks coming off of ACL injuries uh, start the season a little slowly. And I, if Joe Burrow starts the season a little slowly, I just believe that Jameis Winston is going to start the season slowly as well. So, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of reasons. And it's just without Sean Payton, um, this isn't a Drew Brees offense anymore. And I just I'm I'm fading really the entire Saints offense this year. It, it is really hard to argue with pessimism from a Bengals fan. It's <laughs> it's just real. It's really untouchable. Like, how how do you even penetrate that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there obviously is sort of the world where the Saints offense does open up more. As you mentioned, they have the new weapons this year, three new wide receivers. Uh, last year, Marquez Callaway was the leading receiver. Yeah. 
that should probably tell you that that could be the reason that Jameis only averaged 25 attempts per game. We've seen him up above 35 a game in multiple seasons of his career before. It's not like we've never seen high volume Jameis Winston. There is some precedent for it. Uh, But I think that that case is more so maybe we should take a second look at these Saints wide receivers than we need to be looking at Jameis Winston as a late round option. Uh, I'll, I'll be keeping my eye on him from a streaming perspective, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a player that you need to draft at all. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be a streamer. He's going to be in contention for that. We'll see how this offense develops, but if you're just straight up drafting someone, I'd rather take a Daniel Jones or even a Matt Ryan. I just think it's a better surrounding situation personally. So, uh, Mac Jones, like just, I, I just, I think we've seen the best from Jameis Winston personally. Yeah. That is totally fair. Uh, Now I want to get into just a couple of streaming options. I think if you miss out on Justin Fields, then these are a couple of quarterbacks that you can just take with the intention of playing the first couple weeks. And if they end up firing and you like what you see from them, great, keep playing them. If not, then you can start the streaming cycle. Uh, So the first one is Derek Carr being drafted outside the top 12. In week one, he gets the Chargers. That is a tough and talented secondary, but that game has the second highest over under of any in week one. It's 52. Uh, And then in weeks two and three, Carr plays the Cardinals and the Titans. Uh, The Cardinals have a very weak secondary. The Titans secondary is pretty young. I don't think we know exactly how good they're going to be. And I, I would guess that the Raiders would be favored in that game. So I think... Carr is a good option early in the year. And if we are placing bets on quarterbacks that are just going to have the outlier touchdown rate season, I think Carr is one of the more likely just because of getting Devontae Adams and how that could completely change the offense. Uh, The last time we really saw Derek Carr do anything that we got excited about in fantasy football was, I want to say 2016. And that was when he had Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree and the Raiders had one of the better offenses in the league. That feels like a million years ago now, but that we do know Derek Carr is capable of genuine QB one numbers. So with, with maybe the best wide receiver on the planet that he gets to throw to now, I I think there are worse bets if we're talking about pocket passers. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, yeah, I think it was 2015. Uh, Anyway, that was the last time he threw for 30 touchdowns was 2015. So he had a 5.6% touchdown rate. Uh, That was his career high. So Carr has not been a very productive touchdown thrower from a fantasy perspective. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of which gives, is it Devonte Adams brings that number up or if Derek Carr brings Devonte Adams touchdown scoring down, I'm not sure that I have a great answer for that. Um, I just, I guess I will say, I think in most leagues, someone is going to take Carr way higher than I feel comfortable with, but if you get him around ADP, then yeah, I like him as an early season streamer for sure. Yep. Yeah, definitely someone that you shouldn't be reaching for. But if he's the guy that falls, then you should be happy to be streaming him early on. And then I think probably an even easier to recommend early season streamer is Matt Ryan. So the Colts are implied 26 points in week one. That's the fifth most in the league uh, because they're playing Houston. Yes, that could be a Jonathan Taylor game. We have seen those types of game scripts not be great for streaming quarterbacks before. 
But I think that Matt Ryan provides a pretty high floor option at the very least in week one. And after that, he gets Jacksonville, uh, the Chiefs for a likely shootout, and then the Titans. So he's got a pretty soft schedule early in the early in the year should be conducive to scoring fantasy points. Uh, we've seen Matt Ryan heavily target outside receivers. Michael Pittman's a pretty good outside receiver. I think that is a pretty good skill match. Uh, Chris Sanzo was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, saying that he's worried about the Colts offensive line specifically in pass protection. So that if Matt Ryan gets sacked five times uh, by the Texans in week one, yeah, feel free to drop him. That's probably, <laughs> we're probably not going to be looking to him the rest of the year, but outside of that one scenario, I think he is a obviously free type of streamer that you can get at any point in your draft as really a last resort. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think we've seen Ryan look a little lost at times uh, on some of these bad Atlanta teams down 21 points in the third quarter, just kind of dropping back every down. I don't think that's going to happen in Indianapolis against Houston, Jacksonville first couple of weeks. So he should be in a bit more controlled game script where uh, he can play to his strengths. Um, I, I, Frank Reich's a good play caller. So yeah, I, there's a little part of me that worries that Ryan is a little cooked and uh, it's going to look more like a Carson Wentz or Philip Rivers season in Indianapolis. But I think early on with those matchups, um, Ryan is certainly worth chasing as a streamer. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not as if Matt Ryan has this crazy high ceiling or anything. I, I think he's really just the last desperation option. Maybe if your league is a little deeper or if you have a bunch of league mates that like to roster multiple quarterbacks for some reason, I, th I think that's your final fallback. And he could certainly um, throw three touchdowns against Houston. So, I mean, that's totally, it's totally in play. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough on quarterbacks, Eric. Uh, let, let's move into the other onesie position with tight end. Uh, so just kind of similar to what we did with quarterback. We're just going to talk about generally how both of us approach the position from a high level. Uh, so tell me, Eric, what, how are how are you handling the tight end position this year? It's a, it's a lot trickier than I think years past that I can remember this year specifically. Yeah, tight end is, I think we've been bitten by tight end so much on this podcast, um, having to do rankings, uh, weekly rankings, season-long rankings, that we've seen all these guys disappoint us in the past. And so we've kind of just written off anyone who has not shown us anything yet. Um, basically, for the tight end position, I'll occasionally take Travis Kelsey if he falls into the second round. doesn't happen a whole lot, but if I'm in the middle of the second round and I've got a running back first round, I'll look to Kelsey sometimes. Uh, other than that, um, sometimes I'll take Kyle Pitts if he falls into the fourth. He's more of a third-round ADP. I probably need to draft a little more of Pitts in general, but I'm usually waiting for him to fall. But generally, if I don't get Kelsey or Pitts, I am just waiting till the bitter end at tight end. Uh, I sometimes will take TJ Hawkinson or Dallas Goddard in that kind of range if they drop around in ADP. But this is really a position where I'm looking at deals because uh, you've got some stats on this. But if I don't get a top option, I just really don't see a big difference between tight end 10 and 25. So you might as well let other people reach on these players. Just take someone at a value and you can get pretty decent waiver wire pickups at tight end. I mean, you could get Dawson Knox last year. We've seen some of these players spike. So I'm really not investing much capital other than really early on tight end. Yeah, to your point, I mean, Dawson Knox and Zach Ertz were top 12 tight ends per game last year, and both of them were essentially free in drafts. You could draft both of them in the last round in most leagues. Um, yep. So, yeah, if 
I, if you, the listener, take one message from this podcast that you're listening to, let it be this. Please stop drafting tight ends in the middle rounds. So the last couple of years, just looking at how the scoring has shaken out at the position, uh, the difference between the tight end one last year and the tight end five last year per game was the same drop off from the tight end five to the tight end 22. So what that should tell you is if you aren't getting a tight end that is one of the top handful in the league, then you they are all basically the same. Or at the very least, it is not worth drafting anybody that you don't think has a top three, top four, top five tight end ceiling. And we've seen that pretty consistently year after year. It would honestly, it was even worse in 2020. Then the difference between the tight end one and the tight end three per game was the same as the difference between the tight end three and the tight end 11. There were three players at the position that were worth starting every week, basically. And the rest was just all complete trash garbage cycling in and out streaming every week. If you didn't have those very few players. So yeah, if you're drafting a tight end early, go right ahead. If there's a guy you like, understand that it is a ceiling play. We do see tight ends bust in the early rounds, but it's also the only place where you can generally get that elite production throughout an entire season. So if you're into Kelsey, go for it. If you're into Andrews, I think you need to have a reason to think the Ravens will continue to throw at a higher volume this year. But if you think that's true, go for it. I'm super into Pitts. I've talked about him on this podcast a lot. Uh, the long and short of it is if you evaluate him even as a wide receiver, then he stacks up pretty well. Uh, his rookie season in a lot of ways was just as good or better than guys like Devontae Smith is approaching Jalen Waddle type efficiency. We could see a huge jump from him. That, that's that been my go-to in round three. But after that, I will just wait. And I, I think that that is the optimal and the rational thing to do. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about all these tight ends, but my first tier is Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, George Kittle, Darren Waller. Um, Kittle and Waller start to get a little more iffy. Just We've just seen... Kittle used as a blocker so much. We've seen injuries. Waller, we're worried about him getting swallowed up in this offense with, with Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro there too. So um, it starts to fade a little bit. I do think they are worthy of the top tier. And if they if they fall in ADP, I'll grab them as well. But yeah, I think the big takeaway for me from this top tier, uh, if you want a good tight end, go for the top tier. Um, probably target Pitts. Um, but I do think Kelsey, I mean, he's he's going to get so much volume in Kansas city. Like I, I cannot fault someone for taking him in the first round. I don't do it personally. Um, but as long as this isn't the magical, you know, age 32 or whatever year where Kelsey just can't play football anymore. Like he's going to be an awesome player. So um, probably top three tight ends, maybe top five, look at them and then just kind of punt the position from there for the most part. Yeah. And oh, I just need to say now that I've been reminded uh, Travis Kelsey, not playing every single snap with the first team in preseason as a 33 year old is not a signal that he's going to not be a full-time player. I've been seeing that take on the internet the last couple days. I, I don't know why people's brains are so broken, but yeah, please don't. If you're worried about Travis Kelsey, that should not be the reason, please. I saw some smart people tweeting that and I have thought I was going crazy. I was like, are we really talking about the backup tight ends in Kansas city right now? Like it's, it's Kelsey. He's their wide receiver one and we'll figure the rest out later. 
Yeah, for real. All right. So similarly to quarterback, Eric, let's go through some of the players that you are higher on in your rankings than the consensus. Uh, the first one is one I super disagree with that I've drafted none of. So you're going to have to make a pretty good case here if you want to convince me. Tell us why you're high on TJ Hawkinson. So I think Hawkinson is our one shot if you miss the top tier of maybe a breakout tight end. Um, I am not drafting him a ton. Uh, I, again, if he drops an ADP, is someone I'm looking at. But you can you can look at a lot of the underlying numbers here and paint a good picture. I mean, he's only 25 years old and he's entering his fourth season in the league. He was a former eighth overall draft pick. Um, he has, he kind of sneakily improved last year, even though he disappointed us all in fantasy football. Um, he ended up missing the final five games with the thumb injury, but he was up to seven targets per game last year, which was fourth among tight ends. It's, it's really just that volume for me. Most tight ends have zero ceiling as far as target share goes. And Hawkinson has at least shown that seven targets, that's a pretty good number. They used him a ton in the slot. Uh, he had the 12th most slot snaps among tight ends, despite his missed time. So while I typically am not touching this range of tight ends, if you're someone who just cannot stomach punting the position, I do think Hawkinson has some interesting upside here. I'm starting to worry that maybe he's just not that good, that we've overrated him as a prospect, um, and that he's just not a difference maker at the position. But there is still that draft capital. There's pretty good p production for such a young tight end. I can see the pass where he randomly spikes a 10 touchdown season and gets a bunch of targets. So um, again, I I'm higher than consensus on him. That does not mean he's one of my targets, but um, I can certainly paint a rosier picture than some of the tight ends after him on this list in tier two. All right. So I, I see exactly why we are so far apart on TJ Hawkinson now. And it's because I told myself this exact same story last year <laughs> and I I'm just done. I'm so done. Yes. He averaged seven targets a game. That sounds good. But then you realize that that was the exact same targets per game number that Amon Ross St. Brown, a fourth round rookie wide receiver, was able to average on this team. Yes, a lot of those came when Hawkinson was injured, but a lot of Hawkinson's targets came before St. Brown was a full time player. So it, I think it kind of evens out there. I'm just not impressed in a tight end that has been in the league multiple years that can't alpha away a fourth round rookie. I, I think Amon Ra is great, but that is also part of the reason I'm not into Hawkinson this year. I don't think that there are really any worlds that Hawkinson out targets Amon Ra. I expect Swift to continue to be heavily involved in the passing game. I just, and again, we like the lions this year. I don't think they're an elite offense that that's what I feel like you would really want if you are shooting for that top three tight end upside where the player is not someone that you can talk yourself into being an elite difference maker. And maybe you can, and that's fine. But I personally just really do not see it with Hawkinson. Um, his per route efficiency was basically the same between 2020 and 2021. I think that he might just be an okay tight end that will be drafted top 12 in fantasy every year for the next five or six years. But I just don't know that we're ever going to see that breakout year. Um, yeah. Once upon a time, I was saying that about Travis Kelsey, I suppose, but I think that as far as the offense goes, then that's really the signal. Yeah. I mean, I guess tight end such a complicated position to figure out from the outside. 
they at least they they trust him. He's on the field a lot, and we always seem to be a year or two early on these tight ends. So that's just kind of what has me hoping that maybe we were just a year or two early on Hawkinson. But I agree. If you look at some of the PFF numbers, they're not all that high on Hawkinson. So we're probably just overrating him as a prospect with that eighth overall draft capital. So again, I'm still shooting for tier one or bust. But um, if you're out there saying you guys are crazy, I don't want to start. Uh, you know, Tyler Higby to start the season, then maybe Hawkinson is, is, is your bet here at, at uh, six overall as far as tight ends go. Yeah, let's talk about Tyler Higby. You are extremely high on him, Eric. Uh, I, I believe you're 10 spots above expert consensus on one Tyler Higby. Uh, they, this is probably going to make you almost as unpopular as the Tua takes. So why don't, why don't you go into why you're so into Tyler Higby? Yeah, so... After him, I mean, I've got him ranked ahead of some players that have just spiked touchdowns last year, you know, that I don't really um, expect them to do that again. I'm trying to find tight ends that actually have a path to volume. And I know there are some tight ends we can count on for touchdowns, but in general, it's going to vary wildly from year to year. And I just, Higby checks a lot of boxes for me. I mean, he's first of all in a good offense. I I trust the, the play calling. I trust the scheming. I trust Matt Stafford. Like all of that checks all the boxes. And he was on the field like all season last year. Uh, there are five games where he played 100% of the snaps. Um, he returned from a two-week absence down the stretch of last year. He recorded six targets, nine targets, eight targets, four targets, and seven targets over the last regular season games and the two postseason games. Like, that's pretty good. If you tell me that I can get seven to nine targets for my tight end and the Rams offense, like, I don't even really care who the player is. So, I think there's some reason that Higby could be better this year. Like we've seen him run hot in the past and he had some pretty bad play last year at times, some drops. Um, I think he's a better player than that. I think he just kind of had a down year, but the big thing here really is like, he's free. I mean, like we can get him so late in drafts and there are players that go, I don't know, six rounds ahead of him that I just, you're basically hoping for a repeat spike touchdown year. And I don't think we need that from Higby. So yes, you're probably drafting him and you're kind of already in the tight end streaming radar, but you're essentially playing him until somebody drops a tight end that can spike or like maybe Logan Thomas starts getting healthy and you you pick him up. You know, he may not be ready to start the year. Maybe you grab him on waivers for some upside. Like I think he's a good way to hold the fort down as your tight end. You invest nothing in the position and then you just kind of play the waiver wire for this year's Pat Fryermuth or Dawson Knox or whoever's running hot on touchdowns. Yeah. And I think Higby is very live to be this year's Dawson Knox and to score double digit touchdowns. As, as you said, like he's on the field a ton. He ran 497 routes last year. That is better than basically any tight end going around him. That's a ton of playing time. Yes. He's never really been efficient, but efficiency isn't sticky. It doesn't, I, it doesn't really matter how good of a player you think a late round tight end is. What really matters is that he gets playing time and that he's in a good offense because those are the players that run hot on touchdowns. We saw it with Robert freaking Tunyon in 2020. Like yeah. th- this is the, and everybody thinks that Tyler Higby's horrible because he has burned a lot of people in fantasy football. Yeah. I'm happy to vacuum him up later. I think he really is the logical late tight end to go with if you are, if you just completely miss out on all the other options at the position. So happy to endorse the Tyler Higby take. Let's move on to one more tight end that you are higher than consensus on it. You are in on Albert O still. 
Uh, so what, why did, and I say still, because there's been some recent developments I think are important. So why don't you give us the case first, Eric? Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, he's showing up as tight end 21 right now. Um, on fantasy pros, I'm surprised to see him fall that far. The narrative in training camp is that he's playing into the fourth quarter in some of these games. That's not great for a starting tight end traditionally, but I don't know who else the Broncos are going to play. I mean, I know a lot of people are high on Dulcich, but I believe he's still hurt. He's a rookie tight end. I'm not sure who else is going to see the field other than Albert O at tight end for Denver. And we're basically just betting on a few things here for a spike season out of nowhere. That's what we need with most of these tight ends. And I think a lot of the signs here are pretty positive for him. I mean, you know, he had that athletic profile everyone loves. He's six foot six and ran a four five forty. Uh, he's a former fourth round pick, not bad for a tight end. You get Russell Wilson added to the team and Noah Fant taken away. And we've seen him in the past used as an inline blocker, seventy four percent of the time last year. But that was with Noah Fant around. Like I was watching the Steelers Seahawks preseason game where Noah Fant was playing and they tried to have him block on the outside and it went very poorly. Um, so I, I think maybe it was more Alberto was blocking because they didn't want Fant doing that. I'm not sure, but um, I don't know. I just think there's so much change here in Denver in a positive way for Albert. O that like, we just need him to score touchdowns. Like, I don't know what else we really need out of our tight ends. And you pair him with Russell Wilson. We've seen Wilson throw touchdowns to tight ends in the past. And I just, he's a better, in a better spot for a breakout than players like uh, Cole Komet, who, you know, is in a bad offense. Uh, Noah Fant, who's in a bad offense. Irv Smith, who has never really shown he can stay on the field. Like, those are some of the guys ranked ahead of him now. And I, Albert O, I think, is going to be out there regardless of his preseason usage. And so with the Tim Patrick injury as well, like what happens if Jerry Judy gets hurt? Or, you know, there's just a lot of paths here where I think Albert O scores six, seven, eight touchdowns. And, I'm going to buy the dip as everyone else freaks out about the preseason snap counts. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, he he is also live for an outlier touchdown type of year. Alberto's been efficient his entire career, a freak athlete. The, all the pieces really are here. The offense is probably going to be good. Um, I you know what? I think you've convinced me a little bit <laughs> that the so all of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt around Alberto. Yeah, may, I mean, maybe he's just a part-time player still, but th this is late tight ends we're talking about. It's not yeah. It's not like downside really matters at all. We, don't, we should only care about the ceiling case. Um, I think my aversion to him is that his ADP has been so out of control on platforms like Underdog all summer, uh, where he's going well above the Tyler Higby types that I just have not been able to justify taking him much even though it's a profile that I would normally be very into. So yeah, I, I think in your typical home league where he's probably just going to be forgotten by a lot of your league mates. Yeah. Alberto is a totally fine late tight end to take a shot on. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I, I feel like he was about as high as like tight end 14 at one point. I'm not sure if that's too high. I was not drafting him there, but when I'm looking at him at tight end 21, like that, that sounds great to me. That's exactly the kind of player I'm targeting. And he has more upside than Tyler Higby. I'm pretty certain uh, probably a lower ceiling or a lower floor. Uh, I don't think we can count on him as much, but I do think his upside's bigger. Yep. All right. Moving into a couple of guys that you're a bit lower on. I think we've said both of their names already, but Starting with Pat Fryermuth, why why are you behind consensus on Fryermuth, Eric? He's a tough one for me because I don't think we should overlook how good he was as a rookie tight end. It just never happens, and that it probably paints a really good picture about his future in the NFL. Dynasty perspective, I would still be relatively high on him, but 
for me, you know, he was living off of his touchdowns last year. I mean, he scored seven touchdowns, had only 8.3 yards per reception, which was one of the worst ranks for tight ends last year. He also played 61% of his snaps as an inline blocker, which is one of the highest numbers of any of these higher ranked tight ends in the league. So he's not being used necessarily as one of those split out wide tight ends. And I mean, they've got a ton of competition now for targets. I mean, it's, you know, with George Pickens in there now, Chase Claypool actually flashed a little bit playing as the big slot last week. Um, And obviously Deontay Johnson, they've got Najee Harris to catch passes. That's just, it seems really easy for Fryermuth to get lost in the shuffle here. And if whoever their quarterback is doesn't look his way in the red zone, like Roethlisberger did, I just think this could be a pretty huge drop. So if, if it was either he was more of a big play threat or they spread him out wide a little more, I think I could get on board. But just the combination of him being used in line and catching short passes is just hard for me to really get excited about drafting Fryermuth this year. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, people, re- for some reason, really want Najee Harris to be the one squeezed out of the target hierarchy in Pittsburgh. But I think it is by far the most likely that it's Pat Fryermuth. As you said, all- most of his production was about the touchdowns last year. I don't know if the Steelers are going to continue throwing it at such a high rate in the red zone. I I'm just not into it. And you have to draft him like uh, next to guys like Hunter Henry or up well above guys like the Tyler Higbees and the Albertos that are in much better offenses. So yeah, ha- happy to fade Pat Fryermuth. Uh, and let's just quickly kind of go through your last guy. Uh, you're also low on Cole Komet, which I, I think surprised me a little bit when I first put the show together. Why don't you take us through why you're not into him this year? Yeah, it's more just where he's getting drafted. I mean, on Fantasy Pros, he's tight end 13 right now. Like, that's that's baking in, like, all of what we're hoping for him just about. You know what I mean? Like, he he did not show us a whole lot last year. Uh, I know that Jimmy Graham is gone, who is stealing a lot of the touchdowns, but he was also getting touchdowns stolen from him by Jimmy Graham. Like that's not the greatest sign. Uh, I was a little disappointed looking into Komet that um, his 8.1 average depth of target was pretty normal for a tight end. I'm um, playing with Justin Fields and him bombing it out. I was hoping I was going to see more of a downfield threat here from Komet. So I just don't expect this offense to score a lot of touchdowns. I don't really expect the passing volume to be that great. So if he's not a big play threat, I just, I don't know how we're getting to tight end 13 with Komet. So Man, I mean, maybe Fields breaks out here and all of a sudden we're looking at the second option in this passing game behind Mooney. But um, even then, I mean, tight end 13, it's like that just feels so high for him. I, I, you could, There's a couple players you can make a case for him over there being drafted ahead of him, but it doesn't take long to get into that Dawson Knox, Zach Ertz territory, and I would just be shocked if he's a- ahead of them at the season's end. So I think he's going to be one of those classic tight ends that were a year too early on. Yeah, Komet is one of the only other players going kind of later that has run the volume of routes in the past that Tyler Higby has. Uh, he he was up at 499 last year, but similarly to Higby, not all that efficient, uh, only earned a target on 18% of his routes to Higby 17%. I, I think he's Tyler Higby on the Bears. And if I have to draft Tyler Higby on the Bears higher than I have to draft Tyler Higby, I don't think I'm going to get that much of him unless I'm trying to do some stacks with Justin Fields on underdog is basically the scenario where I'm drafting Cole Komet. So, yeah, I still do have him tight end 16 at the end of my second tier. So, and I could definitely move him above Gesicki. I've been trying to 
not completely drop Gesicki down my rankings. Uh, the, the preseason news has been bad about how they're going to have him block, but he is still one of those only tight ends that we've seen with crazy target numbers. So maybe Komet rises up to like tight end 15 for me. I just don't see much more ceiling other than that. Yeah, that is the issue with Komet is that it, the ceiling is just hard to talk yourself into. Um, before we get into some suggestions for early season tight end streamers, are there any other tight ends we haven't talked about yet that you are into drafting late? Uh, if you just want to talk about Isaiah Likely right now, feel free. Just take this in whatever direction you want. Yeah, well, I mean, first I want to give the um, obligatory plugs to uh, Gerald Everett and Hayden Hurst, um, just as the clear starting tight ends with uh, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. I, I'm surprised that Hurst, we haven't talked ourselves into him a little more. I know he's not exciting, but I there's a clear path for him to score six, seven, eight touchdowns. Same for Everett. So uh, those are a couple I'm looking at late. Um, as far as Isaiah Likely, I we were kind of arguing in, on Reddit today and the what we saw post, like, I totally understand if you're someone who drafts two tight ends and you want to take him with your last pick and see what happens. Likely has been getting an insane, insane amount of volume in the preseason. He looks awesome. He's making people miss. He looks like a true pass catcher. The problem with Likely is that Mark Andrews lines up out wide or in the slot as much as any tight end in the league. So that is Likely's role. And I don't think they're going to put him on the field in two tight end sets when they need a blocker involved. So it's really hard to see a path for Likely to be usable early on without an injury. Um, so that's kind of the problem. I mean, Mark Andrews was only an inline blocker 22% of the time last year or lined up that way. So there's just not a role here for Likely. I Again, I don't mind drafting him and seeing what his week one role looks like, although I don't typically draft two tight ends. But um, no, that's my take on Likely. I, I think you've probably got something if you got him cheap in Dynasty. but redraft i'm not quite there yet with him i'd mostly agree yeah i think the only time i'm interested in him in redraft is as like a galaxy brain final pick in a best ball tournament or something along those lines where you're just hoping to get unique and have a player that's really lowly rostered in the best ball playoffs so that i think that makes the most sense of where to take him but i guess we'll see how popular he gets if he if he starts getting taken before the final round then it it's not going to be very good i think so all right let's before we go i just want to shout out a couple of tight end streamers for early in the year uh you brought up one of them Gerald Everett he will be by far my highest rostered tight end this year i i guess either I close to or second with Kyle Pitts. My he'll be my highest rostered guy late. Uh, the Chargers have the second highest implied total in Week One of twenty seven point seven five points, uh, and the Raiders, their opponent, were bottom five against the tight end position last year as far as fantasy points per game go. And after that, the Chargers play the Chiefs, the Jaguars, and the Texans. We're, we're doing a lot of beating up on the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Chiefs for these early season streamers. Interesting how the schedule has worked out early in the year. But I think Everett is prob- maybe second to Higby, probably your best bet of just a guy you can grab late basically for free and see what his role in the offense looks like and if it looks like he's going to get to an outlier touchdown year. And if not, then you are on the streaming carousel. Yeah. And I mean, I just have all these memories last year of Herbert just rifling the ball into Jared Cook with people draped all over him, just trying to force the ball into him. That was some of the times that that Chargers offense struggled was it just, it felt like they were trying to force the ball 
to Jared Cook. And I do think that Gerald Everett has a, a little bit more left in the tank. So if we kind of get some of those looks for Everett, he can get some separation. He can hang on to the ball. Like I, I think there's some real upside here with Herbert. So uh, he's definitely someone I've got my eye on in any league where I need a tight end late or I'm going to be looking to stream the position early. Yeah, totally agreed. And then my last streamer I want to talk about is Austin Hooper. I don't know if this is a hot take. I think Austin Hooper is drawing live to lead the Titans in targets, at least for like the first part of the season. Uh, if Traylon Burks is going to be brought on slowly and be on the third team and playing into the fourth quarter in preseason games. Uh, and I mean, regardless of Traylon Burks, I, we usually see rookies start out slow from a playing time and from a target perspective. Uh, and then there's Robert Woods, who is coming off an ACL tear. It sounds like he's ahead of schedule, but we hear that type of injury optimism on players all the time this time of year. I think it's totally possible that Austin Hooper gets seven or eight targets in week one, and he's the Titans leading receiver at the start of the year. And I mean, the schedule is pretty favorable as well. Uh, they're favored by almost a touchdown against the Giants in week one. And then they get the Bills in week two, potential shootout. And then they get the Raiders in week three, as I just said, we're one of the worst teams against tight ends last year. So uh, early in the season, there's a lot of things that are lining up for Austin Hooper to potentially be pretty decent. He would probably be my pick for the tight end. Everyone is going to be running to on the waiver wire after week one. I guess that that's going to be the, the take I'll run with. So we'll see if I'm right, but I think you could get ahead of it. And if you're desperate, just stream them in week one. Yeah. I, my take on this Titans offense, I'm, I've obviously been very high on Traylon Burks, I'm sure there are good reasons why they are slow playing Traylon Burks, but I would be shocked if we do not get a few weeks into the season here and this offense looks very bad without him on the field. Like I, I, I just don't think a receiving core of Robert Woods, uh, the, the, the other rookie Kyle Phillips, who I believe is more of a slot player, uh, Nick Westbrook, Akeen, like Austin Hooper. Like if that's what they're rolling out there, it's going to be ugly. They went through all this stuff last year without AJ Brown when he was hurt. So uh, yeah, I think Hooper's probably going to get a lot of targets early. At some point, though, they're kind of going to have to swallow their pride here, I think, and force Burks out there because he's he's their only hope I see to any explosiveness in this passing game. But, I mean, Hooper, like, he's been tight end six as recently as, what, like 2019, I think? Like, I don't think he got any worse in Cleveland. I think it was just run-heavy two tight end sets where they kind of spread the work around. But, I mean, we've seen him catch 70 balls two different years, and it wasn't that long ago. So, yeah, I, I'm on board. Hooper's another one of those late-round targets I'm always looking at. Yeah, and that that really is why I prefer Hooper to somebody like Hayden Hurst, just because we've seen him do it before. Um, yeah. it, you can argue that it's been situations where he has kind of fallen into volume, uh, but I, I mean, Hayden Hurst, we have thought was going to fall into volume in, in that exact same offense, by the way, <laughs> and pretty recently. And that that didn't really pan out. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm happy to take Hooper very late. He's another player I'm going to have a lot of in best ball tournaments if I'm building with like three tight ends. So, yeah, that that's those are my streamers early in the season. Uh, I'm realizing now that I'm not going to have much fun trying to come up with new guys before week one, since we've already kind of, already kind of talked about <laughs> some options. But but I'm sure I'll figure it out. I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some other guy getting hyped in the preseason that I can pretend to believe in if push really comes to shove. 
Yeah, we'll we'll pick a Colts tight end or maybe like Brevin Jordan will get real excited about. We, we've got some options. But like I, I mentioned earlier, I, I have been totally out on Logan Thomas coming off a major injury, but the news is starting to get positive on him. So he's someone I would put on your watch list because uh, we've seen like a top five tight end season from Logan Thomas. And um, I was just skeptical about the health. But if he gets back on the field, uh, he's worth a pickup in most leagues. Yeah, agree completely. Um, I I guess just one guy we haven't talked about is David Njoku. Is I would put him on your watch list. I think he's a watch list type of tight end. I think he's going to be a great waiver wire pickup around week twelve. But I I would not touch him before that. Um, there there's reason to maybe squint and see a breakout this year, but I I just don't think any of it's happening with Brissett. Yep, totally agree. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good look at tight end position overall. Um, yeah, I just like we've been spending a lot of time on these later picks, but I think it's really you can just wait, get one of these guys, and you'll do just fine at the position. So uh, I think that covers our, our quarterback and tight end strategy segment. Um, we don't get nearly as excited about these positions as we do running back wide receiver, but it is important to have a strategy in mind as you go into it so you can draft all of the running backs and wide receivers. So don't overdo it at quarterback and tight end. Draft them smart. Don't end up at the end of your draft with three tight ends and you, you missed out on a breakout running back. So um, other than that, uh, just check out QBList.com. We got the what we saw rolling on there. Um, I am going to have my yearly podcast with Nick Pollock from Pitcher List. Uh, you'll have that Thursday evening. Uh, if you missed any of my takes on all these positions, this will be my big draft preview podcast with Nick where I, I teach someone who knows nothing about fantasy football how to draft a fantasy football team. So that's always a fun one. Look forward to that one uh, this week. And then, um, man – Ryan and I, we're already getting ready for week one. So uh, we got one more week of preseason games. And before you know it, the regular season is going to be here. We get a week off to prepare. But um, this is a fun time of the year. So hope you all are uh, enjoying your drafts out there. Um, good luck in your home league draft if you got that coming up. And I will talk to you later this week. <laughs>